the last car in the train. They they, they know we're captive and they uh, they move us whenever they can. And so any um, any increase into the volume of service or any increase into the volume on the track uh, will probably come straight out of us, regardless of where their destination is. But especially if it goes to Vancouver for uh, for us in the West here, us in Alberta specifically. Welcome to the second episode of the Grains West podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Clovis. Grains West Magazine is co-published by Alberta Barley and the Alberta Wheat Commission, and it's our goal to connect farmers, food, and ideas. And just as a reminder, if you'd like to read our exclusive online-only stories, you can visit GrainsWest.com. Now, alongside the great team at Grains West Magazine, we are here to bring you the story behind the story. And today, (laughs) we've got a big one. In episode two, this is what we're calling the Alberta Elections Edition, we will take an in-depth look at the upcoming Alberta provincial election and how the issues that are important to farmers are being addressed. Now, the province's 30th election officially kicked off when Premier Rachel Notley dropped the writ on March 19th, launching the campaign season. Notley's governing New Democratic Party, the NDP, is seeking to maintain its majority government status. And the United Conservative Party, under the leadership of Jason Kenney, also aims to form the next government, following its creation from the merger of the Progressive Conservative Party and, of course, the Wild Rose Party. Now, the Alberta Party, the Freedom Conservative Party, and the Liberal Party will also seek to expand their respective footholds on Alberta's political landscape. So today on this episode, we're going to talk to three farmer representatives from the province's crop commissions about what they see as key issues ahead of the April 16th election. And we'll hear from Grains West Associate Editor Ian Doig's interview with Dwayne Bratt. He is the political commentator and chair of the Mount Royal University's Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies. But first, we're going to chat with Shannon Sereda, Government Relations and Policy Manager for Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions, about the Team Alberta Advocacy Group and how it's representing Alberta's farmers on the political and national levels. Now, as you can probably tell, this is going to be a full episode, so let's get right started with the interview. And to set the table for today's discussion, I am pleased to welcome Shannon Sereda to the show. Shannon joined the Alberta Barley Commission in 2016 and has since expanded her portfolio to include the Alberta Wheat Commission's policy and government relations files. Before joining the commissions, Shannon was a trade commissioner for the Embassy of Canada in Quito, Ecuador, and a commerce officer with Industry Canada. Shannon currently works alongside her colleagues from the Alberta Canola and Pulse Commissions to advocate for farmers through Team Alberta. Shannon, thank you for taking time today to be here with us. Thank you. So Shannon, tell me a little bit about Team Alberta and what the organization's purpose and why it was created. Okay, well, Team Alberta is a collaboration between Alberta Canola, Alberta Barley, Alberta Pulse, and the Alberta Wheat Commission. And so um, our four commissions came together several years ago when the policy staff um, recognized that there were very similar concerns on a lot of the key policy issues across the four commissions and so that there would be um, some value in working together um, as a means of being able to amplify the voice of the grain, pulse, and oilseed farmers um, that we we represent. And so um, 
We really are uh, basically an informal organization, and we do come together on key um, advocacy and public policy activities. Um, and, and mainly our, our, our goals are really to, um, we, we have four main goals that we do work towards, which um, is to ensure long-term access to markets, provide policy input to governments, um, advocacy on behalf of our farmers, and then also to promote the sustainability of Alberta's crop sector. All right. So, so how does Team Alberta get our provincial MLAs engaged in thinking about issues important to Alberta farmers? Well, we have a number of ongoing initiatives, and then we have a number of more ad hoc initiatives that we work collectively on throughout the year. Um, and our engagement isn't limited to the province. We also have initiatives that we uh, work on at the federal level on an, a regular basis, too. But um, in the province, some of the activities that we do regularly include um, advocacy trips to the legislature to meet with uh, key politicians and bureaucrats. Uh, we uh, organize um, MLA tours and crop walks to just try to get some of our elected officials out into the rural areas and getting them on a combine and seeing what farming really is all about. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, we try to break down some of the perceptions that um, that our government um, officials might have about farming if they're removed from the farm and and just give them a better uh, understanding of the realities of modern agriculture. Uh, we, we also organize an event annually called Crop and chops, or sorry, chops and crops, and it's uh, it's an event that's directed at um, at MLA specifically, and we collaborate with a number of other groups um, in the livestock side too on that initiative. So we've always got a lot going on, um, but then on an ad hoc basis too, we we do a number of different um, activities just based on whatever the issue is that we're we're needing to respond to at the moment. Okay, so. So over the past few years, what regulatory hurdles affecting farmers has, has Team Alberta played a role in affecting change on? So, well, most recently we, um, we were addressing uh, some of the changes that were coming into place with respect to Class 1 licensing and um, recognized that perhaps the, the changes weren't considering um, that the implications on agriculture, particularly at the time of year that they were going to be implemented. And so Team Alberta came together and we worked um, very effectively at um, at trying, at, at advocating for an extension on those um, timelines for farmers so that they could be sure to get, um, that they would have labor in place for the seeding season that's that's fast upon us here now. Um, so that that's one issue for sure that we, we were most recently very effective at. And then um, just generally um, our brand, I suppose, as Team Alberta has been really effective in getting us um, and, and, and having a recognition and, and allowing us to um, be a kind of a one-stop shop for, um, for bureaucrats and for politicians who, who are looking to get 
um, some insights and, and answers to, to issues as they arise. Um, and so, so we're, yeah, we work together to, to provide policy input. And so while our effect isn't always measurable, we are very responsive to, to each issue as it arises. And, and we see that we're able to um, open the doors to have conversations to be sure that we can inform um, inform uh, government officials on what the implication is and then try to persuade them on how we could improve a legislation or make changes so that we are limiting um, the impacts on farmers that are, are, are often very um, unintended. While Team Alberta works to advocate for farmers in government policy areas that affect their livelihoods, Dwayne Bratt has been keeping close tabs on the issues, both urban and rural that define the 2019 Alberta provincial election. Bratt is a political commentator and chair of the Mount Royal University Department of Economics, Justice and Policy Studies. He is also the co-author of Orange Wave. Now widely available in Alberta bookstores, it examines the context of the NDP's sweep to power in the 2015 Alberta election. Grains West editor Ian Doig recently spoke with Bratt for his take on how the election issues that affect farmers and rural communities have taken shape in the run-up to the April 16th vote. Um, bear with me, uh, this is kind of a long question, <laughs> this, for this, uh, this next one, but uh, uh, proposed changes to farm safety legislation that were introduced with Bill 6 early in the NDP term uh, were famously unpopular. Uh, farm groups pressured the, the government to consult with the industry uh, on, on these changes. Uh, the Ag Coalition was formed by the province's uh, crop groups uh, to voice the farm sector's concerns, uh, which led to the formation of AgSafe Alberta, which has become the province's central uh, farm safety voice. Uh, and, and the changes introduced with Bill 6 have since become the status quo. Uh, so to what degree can the opposition parties capitalize on uh, the, con the initial controversy of that, uh, of, of that bill's history? Well, and, and that's exactly what they're doing. So um, if you look at the history of Bill 6, when it was initially rolled out, there were huge errors in, in the legislation dealing with family members, dealing with volunteers, um, you know, the, the oversized role of, of workmen's comp. Um, and this led to some massive demonstrations and, and clashes with the government. But over time, as you mentioned, there were some significant amendments. I think the NDP has, has cleaned up a lot of that. But if you look at what the UCP is campaigning on, you would think that they're campaigning back in 2016, of uh, the initial crisis, uh, because they have talked about repealing much of Bill 6 and starting from scratch with additional consultation. Now, we, we need to bear campaign promises with a grain of salt. They might come into government and go, actually, a lot of this has already been done, but they're, they're using that as a, as a sticking point. And uh, I mean, Bill Six really demonstrated um, a tone deafness of the of the NDP initially because it lacked uh, rural representation in caucus and cabinet. Um, is, is there uh, any real uh, any indication that there's any real appetite among rural Albertans to to revisit that legislation? There was at um, the policy convention. So the rural representatives of the UCP, the rural members did at the policy convention in, in Red Deer pass that, that motion and it was um, uh, laid out again uh, during the election campaign by, by Jason Kenney. So uh, 
uh, whether they, they, they speak for all rural Alberta or just the most activist members who, who remember you know, the debates of 2016 and 2017, we'll have to see. But it is a, a, a current campaign promise to completely repeal Bill, Bill 6 and start from scratch. Um, to what degree has the provincial carbon tax uh, defined the political battle for uh, rural votes? So, I mean, the carbon tax is a specific, uh, is a policy that affects all of Alberta. Um, but I think it's had a disproportionate effect, a negative effect on, on rural Alberta. Uh, and it also reflected some of the, the tone deafness, I think, uh, from the NDP when they talked about, well, if you want to reduce emissions, take public transit. Well, there is a lot of public transit in Calgary and Edmonton, but I don't think there's uh, much uh, public transit in, in Three Hills or, or Sundry or High Level. And that just seemed to uh, re reflect um, uh, an urban party, a party of the cities that didn't quite understand the very different needs. Um, and then as part of the, car uh, the climate change strategy, not just the carbon tax, was the coal phase out. And this has become very important issue in places like Hannah, Alberta, where it is the coal plant was the major employer in town. Um, now, w while the UCP has capitalized on, on uh, the, the uh, unpopularity of that, that carbon tax, as you say, uh, has the NDP been able to counteract that in, in any other policy areas? For example, uh, if re-elected, the parties promised to build an, 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 an alternative uh, to Highway 63, a second uh, Fort McMurray route, uh, as well as expanding the province's uh, high-load corridor system. Well, and yeah, there was a great um, a series in the Edmonton Journal before the writ was dropped, which showed you know uh, where the carbon tax money went, and it has been deployed right across the province. The big ticket items um, are in Calgary and Edmonton related to the LRTs, but if you add up all of the different projects that occur outside the cities, is actually larger than what occurs in, in Calgary and Edmonton. But it, but it's not. Really Really been seen whether those are energy efficiencies for municipal buildings um, or hockey rinks or solar panels um, that has um, that has been forgotten because each project is so small but if you added up each of those projects it would be that much bigger so I don't know if that's a message the NDP has been trying to um, to play off that they're investing uh, the, the carbon tax um, um, rural crime, another hot topic in rural Alberta for, for yeah. a long time. Uh, the UCP wants to replace the NDP crime reduction strategy with its own contrasting strategy if elected. So uh, how are voters weighing, the, I guess, the relative merits of, of one over the other? So when there is crime situation, so the UCP has rolled out a number of different proposals. One is actually the, uh, which I thought was a bit weird, was creating an Alberta Paroles Board because they somehow linked rural crime with the Canadian parole system that they, they, these are repeat criminals who just go back and doing the same thing, being led out by um, a federal parole board. So creating an Alberta Parole Board. I didn't quite see the linkage there, but it is a, an interesting idea that the UCP has put forward. The NDP has tried to fight back and say, well, you guys voted again. 
touched all of the extra money that we were submitting for hiring more RCMP officers and 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 uh, all of these other efforts on, on rural crime. And that is true, but the problem that the NDP has is it was in the budget, and the, the UCP voted against the budget for all sorts of other reasons besides the increase in spending uh, to, to combat rural crime. Right. Uh, but there has been uh, an escalation of rural crime. Uh, it has been monitored by, by criminologists, and you often have to blame the government of the day that is in there. Um. Another big one, uh, the NDP plans to lease 4,400 rail cars to ship crude oil uh, that has farm groups worried uh, that this might impede uh, the shipment of grain. Uh, The UCP says it's going to halt that uh, initiative if elected. So uh, has the issue uh, made much of an impact on, on rural voters? I don't know if, if, if that has, has made an issue. Uh, there was complaints prior to the announcement about buying additional rail cars that just the, um, the glut uh, or, or the, 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 the problems with the pipelines was leading more oil to go by rail, which was um, keeping, keeping grain out. The question is, with additional capacity that the, uh, is being leased, will that actually increase the capacity for, for grain, or is that solely selected? Will it just make a bad situation worse? I think there's still a lot of discussion about that, because if you do lease 4,000 rail cars, is that going to free up other rail cars uh, for, for grain? The UCP has responded that they will rip up those contracts. I don't know what the penalties will be, but uh, they, they're clearly opposed to the, to the leasing of, of rail. But I don't think it's on behalf of grain farmers. I think it's just about the amount of money being spent on, on rail, as well as the timing of making a major government purchase like this, you know, a month before an election campaign. Um, now, are there are there any other issues uh, that you think will play into how rural Alberta votes? Yes, um, and that is the proposed referendum on including um, private property rights in the Constitution. So this was a policy recommendation that was passed by UCP members. Um, it was actually a bit weirdly stated because it talked about putting property rights in the Alberta Constitution. Um, there is no Alberta Constitution, um, and so the UCP rolled out its agricultural platform. They modified that and said they're going to have a referendum in Alberta to reopen the Canadian Constitution to include property rights, um, just as there is freedom of religion and, and gender and all of those other items. Um, we'll see how that plays out, um, because unlike the, the American Constitution uh, about original intent, if you use the original intent, there was a specific reason that property rights were not put in the Constitution in 1982. The question is, has that changed, or is this just a, a, a political stunt of having referendums on federal jurisdiction? Um, and there's a number of those policy proposals that the UCP has. Um, just to wrap it up, uh, I guess what can be said about the general political mood in rural Alberta in the in the run up to voting on on uh, April 16. Oh, they they want they want a change of government. There, there's no doubt about that. And uh, if you look at the seat count, there has been a dramatic shift um, over the last 20 years. So in 2001. Um, if you looked at the Edmonton and Calgary ridings, uh, it was less than 50 percent. 
even though they had a population higher than 50% in the province. But in the 2019 election, if you include some of these small centers right around the rings of, of both cities, like a Sherwood Park or a Cochrane or, or an Airdrie that are kind of urban and kind of rural, um, you're now looking at two-thirds of the seats are in those concentrations. But it looks like of the 30 seats that are remaining, the UCP may very well sweep 28 or 29 of those. I think the only seat safe uh, for the NDP might be Shannon Phillips in, in Lethbridge in a, in a smaller center. But that gives them a huge political advantage. You know, if you've got, if you have to get to 44 for a majority government, you're already starting with 28 or 29 before you even get into the, to the big cities. That's why I think it's very difficult to find a path for victory uh, for the NDP here and why we're looking at a UCP government. So Ian also had the opportunity to talk to John Gilley. He's the Region 5 Director and the Chair of the Alberta Canola Producers Commission. He farms with his family near Westlock, Alberta. There's a skilled seasonal labor shortage in agriculture uh, throughout the province right now. Class 1 licensing has been a recent area of concern. How can the provincial government help to limit such regulatory barriers to assist farmers? But engage collaboration. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we have the appropriate groups at the table when uh, these preliminary discussions are starting on any new regulations. Um, then we can certainly say what issues we foresee with the proposed regulation and maybe that can all be sorted out prior to any uh, new regulations being actually uh, brought to the workplace. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, the government could certainly help us educate the urban population and help them understand our process so they can appreciate um, how these regulations fit into our farms and, and still get the uh, objectives done. Uh, where do you sit on the uh, the current Class 1 uh, licensing situation? Well, that's an interesting one. That uh, was a case where we weren't uh, advised of what was going on there. We certainly knew in the background uh, some of the problems that have gone on across Western Canada. Uh, we, we appreciate the idea of making our roads safer, and we're all for that. Um, however, we weren't really advised of what, what the regulations were going to be, so... As soon as we found out what was happening, uh, it was a bit of a surprise to us. Uh, we discussed that at Alberta Canola's board table, and uh, we brought forward a resolution at our AGM last uh, January at FarmTech, and it was a motion was or the resolution was passed, and uh, we proceeded to lobby the government with Team Alberta to uh, get the uh, legislation or the uh, requirements extended uh, from the standpoint that it really wasn't going to give us enough time to get any new drivers trained uh, with the spring season coming up. It was going to you know, impose a hardship on a lot of farmers. So uh, fortunately, the government uh, worked with us on that and gave us the one-year extension. So we're still going to have to figure out how we can get all this done, and I know there's still some issues with getting new drivers trained uh, with the deprivatization of the licensing uh, group. There's some issues there and difficulty with farmers getting uh, training booked. 
but uh, at least we've got a little bit extra time here to figure out how we're going to be able to implement this onto the farm for uh, future years. Uh, now, my second question, uh, it's, it's the federal government's target to push Canadian agricultural exports to $85 billion, uh, by 2025, $85 billion annually, uh, a jump of $19 billion from, from 2017. Uh, what can the winning party in the provincial election do to assist in boosting Alberta's agriculture and agri-food exports? Well, there's definitely a lot of things the new government could help us with. And of course, the big uh, issue right now is canola going into China. So improved market access would be uh, a huge benefit to us. Um, hopefully we can get this problem resolved sooner than later, uh, but it would be also nice to find other markets for products, uh, be that canola or any of the other uh, Alberta crops. It, uh, we hate to always depend on one country to uh, take the majority of our of our the product we produce, so it's nice to have that spread out. So if they could, uh, you know, help us try and find new markets and uh, preserve the ones that we have. Along with that market access, um, you know, it's no good to set up market access to different countries if we can't get that product to them. So we definitely would like to have a little bit more help with uh, a predictable and efficient rail service. Uh, There are some improvements coming in that matter and, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing those. On the other hand, not getting a pipeline for oil means that there's going to be more oil hitting the rail, and I have to think that the rail service will take a hit on that. So hopefully we can uh, get that resolved and, and keep our grain and oil seeds moving to the coast to head to other markets. Uh, we also always looking forward to more plant innovation. Um so that we can grow crops more efficiently and, and produce more. And uh, things like gene editing and, and neonics are, are important tools for Alberta and Western Canadian farmers. So we're hoping that uh, we can get a, a science-based solution on that. Um, try to uh, keep the urban population more up-to-date with where that stands and, and reassure them that uh, we're producing a, a safe and healthy product and that, uh, you know, we wouldn't be doing anything on our farms that would affect the future of our farms or the health uh, or safety of any of our farm families or workers. And next, I was able to talk to Warren Sekulik, Region 5 Director of the Alberta Wheat Commission. He farms with his family near Rycroft, Alberta. Now, Warren, the the crop groups are concerned about the plan to to lease rail cars to move additional crude oil exports, worrying that this may hinder rail transports of grain. Um, how might this plan impact the grain industry, and how might cancelling it affect grain shipment by rail? Well, we're definitely worried about um, about the plan to lease rail cars. Uh, from everything we're being told by the uh, by the railways, they're running at uh, at pretty. Uh, just about at capacity, so any extra utilization or any extra uh, cars or motors pulled off a of grain or crews will uh, will will affect grain. We've kind of always been the seem to be the last uh, you know the last the, the last car in the train. They 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 know we're captive and they uh, they move us whenever they can. 
And so any um, any increase into the volume of service or any increase into the volume on the tracks uh, will probably come straight out of us, regardless of where their destination is. But especially if it goes to Vancouver for uh, for us in the West here, us in Alberta specifically. Okay, so it's estimated Alberta's farmers spent between thirty-five million and forty-five million on fuel for grain conditioning this past harvest. Whichever party forms the next Alberta government, uh, what can the province do to ease the burden of farm fuel and energy costs on farmers? Well, I think the easiest and quickest thing they can do is to uh, exempt all of the farm fuels from the carbon tax. So, you know, propane, natural gas, anything that we're using in the process uh, that is carbon taxed right now, they can exempt that because that's a significant uh, significant extra cost. Like you said, uh, we spent uh, upwards of $45 million and and it a big chunk of that in the last couple of years has been carbon tax. So it's an extra cost that we can't pass on. Um, in years when it's challenging, uh, everything is challenging. So it would be nice not to have that cost. And that's the simplest way, I think, for them to do it. So lastly, you'll hear from Don Shepard. He's the Zone 5 director and the chair of the Alberta Pulse Growers. He farms with his family near St. Bride's, Alberta. Which regulations and regulatory areas would you like to see the provincial government make changes to in the future? Um, we, we've looked at this and we see that uh, there's four areas in the regulatory uh, 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 areas that we would like to see that our, a new government or, or the next government uh, look at and reevaluate. Uh, the first item is the uh, mandatory entry level training for, uh, for class one drivers. Uh, we agree and all with all the other crop commissions that uh, that safety is a is a huge issue and, and should be always first put first. But we can also see that the new milk program looks to be burdensome on, on agriculture producers. So I think farmers will have a harder time getting people through to get their class ones. And, uh, and this is one area that I think we'd really like to see them uh, look at and reevaluate again. The second area I'd like to, to talk about a bit is value-added processing. Uh, there is uh, there seems to be a gap here in Alberta when it comes to uh, to adding uh, uh, to the value added area when it comes to uh, uh, doing our agriculture products. Uh, I know canola has done a great job in, in producing oil and meal, uh, but when it comes to pulses, there's very little done in the province, and fractionation right now is a huge, huge. Uh, 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 bonus to the industry. It's it's a, a process that's moving forward and and is not just going to be something that's temporary. It uh, looks like it's going to be a very long term program, and we 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 are missing it so far. And it just seems like it would be one of those areas that uh, that the our, our, a new government, uh, the next government, uh, the next government would uh, would benefit greatly by uh, by looking into this and and seeing if there's if anything they can do to encourage uh, this sort of thing happening in the province. The other, uh, the other issue is sustainability. Uh, uh, we just like to see uh, uh, farmers recognized for the work they're doing in, uh, in, in maintaining and, and contributing to the sustainability of, uh, of their farms. Uh, that was one of the things that we talk about a bit is that, uh, you know, for myself, I farm with my wife. Uh, 
we have a, a mixed operation and we farm and, and do the things that we do here because of the future. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we want to pr- produce products that are safe for our, our kids and our grandkids. We like to do that on a farm that's safe and, and using programs, uh, using uh, tools that will help us uh, grow or develop better soil, uh, be more responsible for our water, to be more responsible for all those things that, that sustainability has, has pushed ahead. And I think uh, we would like to see a, a revisiting of, of carbon credits and 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 then recognition that what we're doing is uh, is is something that's very valuable to the future of farming. And the fourth issue in uh, regulatory would be the carbon tax, and uh, we'd like to see uh, the next government recognize that all forms of fuel on the farm, uh, especially those used in irrigation and drying of grain, are important to farmers, and yet have added a burden in expenses and uh, we'd like to see that uh, revisited and, uh, and and see that uh, uh, may, maybe the provincial government could go along with the feds and the federal government and, and agreeing that that some of these fuels are, are are very important to the production of agriculture products. The, the province's crop groups had concerns about the draft version of the provincial government's science and innovation framework. Uh, for its emphasis on policy issues such as sustainability, food safety, and public trust, rather than uh, profitability basics such as variety development and agronomic research. What do the crop groups want to see in terms of strategic investment in ag research from uh, whichever party forms government? Yeah, we'd like to see the next government make a strong commitment uh, in the long term to uh, for strategic investment in crop production, research, and extension, uh, we'd also like to see them collaborate with the with the industry, with with us, with the producer groups to to uh, identify priorities and uh, and see what uh, what direction is needed for us to be successful and more successful. Uh, agriculture has done a lot of uh, great things in, in the past and still is, but we'd like to have uh, our, our next government as a partner moving ahead. We'd like to see a transparent process that will clearly show that uh, the allocation of uh, research funding is being done uh, in, in a clear and open way. And uh, Research on, in agriculture is such an important uh, cornerstone to the future of farming. Uh, it has been over the years. We, we've done many things to, to generate uh, uh, a better living, uh, a better lifestyle, uh, more sustainable and uh, uh, more sustainable practices. And all of this is done through research. And if it's not going to happen through our government, uh, it may fall by the wayside. Ian also spoke with Alberta Council Senior Advisor Janelle Saskio. She is the former mayor of Marwayne and ran as a UCP party nomination candidate for Vermillion, Wainwright, and Lloyd Minster. Her organization provides a wide range of legal counseling as well as providing government relations and lobbying services. Well, thanks. Thanks for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. 
I'll, I'll start off with this. Uh, can you just tell me a, a bit about what kind of an organization Alberta Council is and uh, what it does? Um, Alberta Council is comprised of two entities. So we have a legal department, um, you know, your regular uh, group of lawyers that uh, specialize in everything from family law to um, labor law, you know, just the run-of-mill, absolutely everything. And uh, the other component to Alberta Council is actually a uh, government relations or a lobby firm. And uh, what our job is, is to connect our clients with uh, various uh, groups from within the government. And we set up all the meetings and gather information for them so that uh, when we do meet um, with particular ministers uh, discussing particular issues, we have the most advanced information possible. Okay. Uh, and uh, with that, we're going to talk uh, some election talk here, um, specifically um, how has the voter preference picture in Alberta evolved since the last Alberta provincial election? Well, I think what we're seeing right now is, is a real divide between urban and rural. Um, it's been quite interesting traveling across the province and working with many different uh, groups and, and uh, organizations um, allows us to see the entire picture. And I think uh, this election, more so than ever, um, we really do see that that real divide between urban and rural. And uh, I think it's going to play, uh, you know, a, a big factor into the upcoming election. Can you uh, con contrast the uh, support for the various political parties shown in, in, in polling in the run-up uh, to uh, both the uh, 2015 and, and the, the 2019 elections? Well, the polling is changing daily. Um, it's been quite interesting to, to be able to watch it. And, of course, we know that polling sometimes um, isn't as, as credible or liable as, as we once thought it was. Um, but what we're seeing right now um, is, of course, a real strong hold by the UCP within rural Alberta. And uh, we're seeing um, a more balanced support, I would call it, um, within Edmonton and Calgary. Um, we are seeing Edmonton having that slight NDP advantage, um, you know, polling about 10% higher than the UCP at this point. And Calgary, surprisingly, numbers have changed within the last couple of weeks, but we're seeing that gap close. And uh, we're seeing it within about 8% of each other. So um, it's going to be a really interesting race, especially with the redrawing of the boundaries um, that took away some rural seats and added more seats into the urban um, areas. Um, but uh, this is going to be a really close election, I think. Um, speaking of, of close, uh, what, what are some of the major issues or policies being contested in this election and how, how will the potential outcomes impact farmers specifically? Well, of course, the, the, the number one uh, policy platform that uh, the UCP have come out with is, is the appealing of, uh, of the carbon tax. Um, so, I mean, you know, we've had a lot of outpour from, from our agriculture producers and, and no, noting the impact um, that the carbon taxes had on, on their overall operations, as well as, you know, a lot of the subsidiary um, industries, you will, um, look, you know, that are, are related to agriculture industries having a big impact, you know, full fuel consumption, things like that, that uh, we really saw a big impact that the carbon levy had on, uh, on our producers. Um, the other issue, um, you know, and I, I'm going to be highlighting mainly the UCP and the NDP because I think that those are the two main contenders within the election. Um, of course, the UCP um, released their platform a couple of weeks ago stating that they also will be repealing Bill 6. Um, so that is going to be quite interesting because 
um, you did have a variety of producers, some that are saying, yes, absolutely, don't tell us what to do on our farms. And you have some other producers that are saying, wait, there, there were components of that that were okay. So I think it's going to be really interesting, um, should the UCP be successful, which I, I do predict that they will be within this election, um, to see how they consult and, and how they change Bill 6 particularly. Um, what, what issues would the agriculture industry want to prioritize after an NDP win uh, versus a, a UCP win? Well, I think um, an NDP win, you know, there would be a lot of emphasis on um, just raising that ro- that rural profile. Um, right now, as we know, our agriculture industry is really hurting, especially with the ban of uh, canola fr- in China having a major impact on our agriculture industry. And, you know, just looking at right now, you know, the, the um, inconsistency with our oil and gas sector really means that agriculture is our most secure um, industry that we currently have in the province. So I think that there has to be a bigger emphasis, um, you know, from our producers to the NDP saying, hey, we are the most important commodity that we have right now in the province. You need to start working with us a little closer. Now, can you tell uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the uh, Farm Voice 2019 program and, and what you hope to achieve through uh, the engagement uh, with farmers on that? Well, I think that the most important thing, like I said, is just really raising that profile. Um, you know, right now, um, we've, we've agriculture's kind of been held off in the limelight, if you will. And uh, like I said, it's just an opportunity for us to really raise that profile, bring some of our industry's needs to the forefront and ensure that we are getting the proper attention and the, and the proper um, relationship building that we need to have going forth. Well, uh, thanks a lot for your time today. I really do appreciate that. Uh, any, any, any final comments before I let you go? I just want to encourage absolutely everybody to vote. Um, one thing that is troubling me a little bit as I'm traveling across the province is uh, there are some people that are saying, you know what, we don't like the NDP, but we like Rachel Notley. We don't like uh, Jason Kenney, but we really like the UCP. We're undecided we're, we're going to lay our vote. So we're actually choosing not to vote this election. And uh, an apathetic election is one of the worst things that could ever happen in our province. I mean, there, you know, history has proven that people are willing to, to sacrifice their life in order to be able to vote. And I just think that it's, it's a, something that we have taken for granted in this province particularly. So every vote counts. Please come out and vote. All right, so so we're less than a week away now from Election Day on April 16th. I'm joined by Associate Editor for Gra- at Grains West, uh, Ian Doig. Uh, as voters across the province continue to weigh in on the issues, can you kind of share with me, Ian, what you think of everything so far and, and just kind of your thoughts? Well, no one may be particularly surprised that the UCP is leading in pre-election polling in rural Alberta. Uh, it's definitely a two-way race in Edmonton and Calgary between that party and the NDP. Um, With the outcome of the election yet to be decided, some major farm-focused issues will be impacted very differently, depending on uh, which which party forms the next government. For instance, farm safety legislation changes put in place with Bill 6 may remain in place with the NDP or be uh, scrapped uh, and replaced under the UCP. Uh, Likewise, the province's uh, plans to ship oil by rail will uh, either proceed uh, with the NDP or be cancelled by the UCP. Regardless of which party is elected, uh, farm groups say they will push for the elimination of regulatory barriers, 
for the easing of, of the burden uh, of uh, on-farm energy and farm fuel costs and uh, for uh, provincial agronomic research policy that uh, makes sense for farmers. Great. Thank you very much, Ian. Great points. Now, for people who want more information on electoral boundaries, where to vote in your area, how to access advanced polling, or to register to vote, you can visit Elections Alberta online at elections.ab.ca. Uh, you can also contact the Elections Alberta Voter Information Center, and that's at one 877 I'll say that one more time, even though you could probably just... Uh, Skip back 15 seconds and <laughs> hear the number again. one 422 8683 And that's for the Elections Alberta Voter Information Center. Thank you very much for listening to the Grains West podcast. This has been a production of Grains West magazine, which is co-funded by Alberta Barley and the Alberta Wheat Commission. The Grains West podcast is hosted by me, Jeff Clovis, and is produced by Ian Doig, Tommy Wilson, and Coles Ag Media Group. Get this podcast and future episodes from iTunes or wherever you access your podcasts and enjoy to listen. Please rate and review. It helps us a lot. And you can always share your thoughts on the Grains West podcast by emailing us at info at grainswest.com. Mm-hmm.